This episode of Fuel for the Soul is powered by ASICS. Head over to ASICS.com and sign up for a one ASICS account. It's completely free, and when you sign up, you'll receive 10% off your first purchase. You'll also gain access to exclusive colorways on ASICS.com, free standard shipping, special birthday month discounts, and more. Hey, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Featherstone Nutrition. A.K.A. Feathers. And today, I don't want to be gross or gross you out, but normally I end with peas and carrots. Today, starting with peas and carrots, well, at least carrots. I'm chewing on some carrots to get my nutrition so I got enough energy to get through this podcast because <laughs> it's almost lunchtime. And, and carrots aren't really helpful for energy, are they? I was just going to say, I just had like an English muffin and a couple of cheese sticks because I was getting real hangry over here. And you're over here munching on some carrots like a little bunny. <laughs> Did you say cheese steaks? Cheese sticks. Oh, I thought like, wow, an English muffin and two cheese steaks. And since we kind of skipped over it, in case you don't know what's happening, you're listening to Fuel for the Soul, the podcast where we talk all things hydration and nutrition and how it affects performance. And we have a really a fun conversation to go over today. We're going to be talking about dealing with contradicting nutrition advice because there is a lot of it out there right now. But before we go into all of that juicy goodness, Megan, we got to talk about your stellar performance at the half marathon this week. Do you have a bell or anything on you? you, Can you ring a bell? There we go. PR bell. PR bell. (laughs) That's our dog's collar, by the way. I was going to say, I don't hear a bell. <laughs> like, yeah. do I not believe in Santa? Like, why can't I hear that? I know. Uh, you well, don't believe in Santa? Ugh. Santa? <laughs> I know him. But so tell us, Megan, all about your half marathon. How did you fuel and how did you feel? And if anyone does not know, Megan just ran a one twenty two. Wait, wait, wait I love that. If anybody does not know, like everybody's tracking our stuff. Everyone is tracking. Hey, everybody. Come look at us. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. We don't know anybody's times. We know Megan's time because we, we, we care other. about her. But yeah. Um, so yeah, Megan, you ran a 122 what? Oh, one. And Meg said, did that oh, one hurt? And I said, yes, it did. It did. Yeah. Just think you could have you had a 121 and just left it at that. I tried. Uh, but I was I was following <laughs> coach's orders and I was holding back for the first half. And then I felt so good. I was like, I'm just going to let this rip. So I did. But I never looked at my my watch usually i'm like computing my finish time constantly and i told myself like don't do that like just go out there and have fun so i didn't do it so then when i did turn onto the finish street and i looked up i was a decent way away and it was 30 seconds until 122 and i just took off i ran as fast as i could i think i saw four at the beginning of the mile and it's still it's just i tried i I didn't quite make it (laughs) did you start seeing colors like in your periphery like did did it start spiraling (laughs) No, I didn't. I felt great out there. So backtrack a little bit. We were in the Bronx the weekend before. It was a very quick trick. Trick. Very quick, quick trip. I can't talk today. This is gonna be a long podcast. Anyways, I wasn't there very long, and I just felt like trash almost all week long. I even I told Meg I like ditched on part of my workout for the first time this cycle. I was like, I just not feeling it. My legs are super heavy. They're not recovering. So I had no expectations for this race. Um, but I went into it thinking like doing all I should, right? So I had a lot of bagels the day before. Shocker. I know. I ate a ton of graham crackers the morning of. I had some on my drive there. I had some while I was waiting. 
Um, and then I decided I was going to do a caffeinated gel beforehand, which I'd never done for a half. But I was like, why not? Right. We keep talking about caffeine hitting in an hour. Like, why not have it hit in an hour when I have like the last, you know, 5K left? And then I took my gels really early. So the first half of the race had some decent downhills in it, like the first like three or four miles. So I took a gel at 20 minutes because I was on a downhill and I felt amazing. And I don't know about you guys, but like when I take a gel, my perceived exertion gets a little higher. My heart rate gets a little higher. So I was like, I better, why not do it now? Right. And then same thing happened at like 45 minutes in. I was like, just take your second gel now and don't even worry about doing it later. And it worked so well. Like I had great energy while I was out there. Um, I take the Morton's so I didn't need to be by a water stop, you know, so it worked really well. Well, what's cool about that too, is that you're 20 minutes in and you, and you take it and we talk about trying to get as much in as you can handle. And when you're, when you do that and you said you're downhill and I think what the problem, why it feels like extra exertion is cause it messes with your breathing. Like mm-hmm. you're putting that thing mm-hmm. in your mouth, you, you stop breathing for a second to get that in then you're gasping for air to get back and, <laughs> You're going so, I mean, that's incredible that you're able to get the extra calories in early. And did you f- stay on a regular schedule after that? Those were the only two I took. So I usually tell people like who are sub 90 minute half just to take two, like a gel at the start. So technically it's three, right? But then two while you're running. And that should be plenty if we've got some decent glycogen stores. So that's what I stuck to. And I felt good. Like, I guess if I would have started to feel like I needed more energy, if I had another one, I would have taken it. But I felt really even throughout the rest. All right. So people who aren't good at math, can you tell me? <laughs> what a 122.01 equates to in paces? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I always overrun the course. I ran 13.32. Like, I'm ridiculous. Right, but you don't, know your, you don't know your pace? My, like, wa- my watch said 610, but I think it's just like a 616 maybe. I think it's a 615. Yeah. Okay, just for our listening audience, it doesn't matter if I eat a bag of bagels right now. <laughs> Um, they, I, I don't think, I, I don't know, like breaking a six minute one mile for me would probably be a challenge right now. So man, that's blazing. I have a question, Megan. Did you have coffee in the morning and the caffeinated gel and you felt like that was okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did. I really did. I think, I don't know about you guys, but I typically am like a two cup of coffee before I run, but race day, I just drink one. Like I'm a little amped up and a little bit like nervous energy, you know? So I didn't technically have as much caffeine as I normally do before because I only had one cup. So do you know what we, do you know what we learned in the Bronx? Apparently our coffee is weak. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you say that like it's a bad thing. Okay. I'm t- for all the listeners, we were looking for cold brew coffee or like nitro coffee that we could just keep and not need hot coffee in the morning before our race just keep in our hotel room. And we were talking about how much caffeine we needed. And I just mentioned that, Meg and Thomas's coffee isn't super strong, so they probably didn't want the 200 milligram, you know, and they were like, oh, our coffee's not strong. <laughs> Which is weird because, like, sometimes like I was insulting I feel, them. <laughs> well, I feel like sometimes I have to top off our coffee with a little bit of water because Megan will go nuts. But it's Starbucks. We did, we tested it this week, Megan, because I was like, Thomas, can we make this stronger? Because I prefer a stronger coffee. He's the one who's always like, too much. No, but and I so, like, yeah. like, I like Pike Place. Like, I'm like, but so I added an extra scoop into our coffee and we tested it a couple of times this week. And I was like, did you notice the difference? And he was like, no. And I was like, oh. And I was like, well, it's really expensive. So we're just going <laughs> to stick to three scoops, not four. <laughs> Wait, did you notice a difference, Meg? Like a little bit, but not 
Definitely not like energy wise. Like okay. it tasted That's a little awesome. slightly different, but yeah, no effect. I mean, yeah. Um, okay, so we just heard about Megan's very well executed half marathon, which was not a full carb load day, but kind of you know consciously incorporating more carbs before, and obviously taking in gels during the run. And recently, several podcasts have come out that I've listened to, and I know that people have sent to you, Megan, as well, with information that contradicts some and all of what we've been preaching for the past year on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I would love to dive into some of these statements that are out there, and you can tell us science of why or why not they are accurate but so the first statement here is that women cannot carb load and that we do not store glycogen like men do what (laughs) (laughs) what and you're like megan seriously people get so confused like megan this is the exact opposite of what you've been telling me to do and then sometimes people follow it up with but it's been working and I'm like, okay, at least we're starting to question, right? Like this has worked for me. But you know, before I really hop into this, I have to say thank you to all you guys that listen that are comfortable enough being like, yeah, Meg, this isn't what you say. Like it doesn't seem like any of you feel threatened to like send these things over to us. Like I'm gonna be mad or upset because it's helpful for me. Some of the stuff's not even on my radar. Some of these podcasts were, but like two or three of them weren't. So it's really nice for you guys to, so anyways, open invitation to continue to send me things that are confusing you guys from things we're saying here and happy to, you know, talk through them like we are today. Um, But, you know, when we really look at the whole statement of women cannot carb load, it's coming from a lot of research, right? Where the end point of that research is showing that women and men are both being entered into this study and that women are not benefiting from the carb load like the men are, right? So if we just look at that statement, we look at the conclusion of these research studies, women don't benefit as much from carb loading as men, right? But if we take a step deeper and we actually look at how these studies were developed and implemented, what we're finding is the two main studies that are being quoted to support that women don't benefit from carb loading They just had these women eat some extra carbs, and when they calculated out how many carbohydrates they were eating, they weren't eating enough to be carb-loaded. So men were. Men were eating enough, right? But women actually weren't eating the recommendation that actually causes a, you know, submaximal, you know, glycogen concentration so that you can perform to your best. So we're not comparing apples to apples here. You know, these men were benefiting because their carb their glycogen stores were fully loaded, but the women's were not from the way they were eating, which then goes back to highlight women just aren't eating enough carbs to begin with to support performance. Well, the second question is if you're doing a study, like you you know control groups and stuff like that, that you need to have Mm -hmm. a base group that is a control group that's not changing any eating habits. You need to have one that maybe is depleting carbs, and then you need to have one that is exceeding recommended carbs and see what happens. The thing that is weird to me is if you're doing this study, and and I think in general, for the most part, I mean, this is a generalization, I would say that women are gonna eat less. Like when I look at my plate Mm -hmm. versus Megan's, I've got more on it, you know, and I don't know if that's intentional or if, you know, she's trying to make me fat or something, I don't know. But um, it, it, this, leaving it up to the 
women in the study to determine how many calories is more calories doesn't right. seem scientific. No, that's a flaw for sure. So that study, we can throw that one out, right? And then when we look at one of the other ones, what they they were just saying, again, eat more carbs. The women were eating 75% of their carb needs and the men were eating 100%. So again, you can't compare that, right? We know very clearly we need eight grams per kilogram of carbohydrate to load our glycogen stores. And most of these studies, the women were like at five grams per kilogram. They, they just weren't eating enough to be able to see the benefits of an actual carb load. But then, you know, to Thomas's point, they have done studies where they have given women eight grams per kilogram. In this particular one, they had 13% increase in glycogen storage. So that you know, renders this as false, right? Women can stock their glycogen stores. And then they had an 8% increase in time to exhaustion. So they were able to run 8% farther, faster, all those types of things when they had those increased glycogen stores. So to me, this is like the gold, right? When we actually fuel our body enough as females, it absolutely works. Well, that's weird because like, think about how much we spend on uh, running shoes, if we can get a, a 4% increase in performance and it's easy because you buy them you put take them out of a box and you put them on your foot and they feel great but carbs i think i think what's hard about it is it's so ingrained that carbs are bad and then on top of it maybe you feel like like we've talked about getting to the line doughy and like right now i'm we're in taper for london and it's like you know i'm, I'm aware of what i'm eating but i also know that i'm gonna have to as a matter of fact, I'm going to talk to you after the show about how many carbs I have to <laughs> down, down this week um, because I've seen it seen it work. But you're talking about eight percent. How much we'll spend to get that half of that in a shoe? That if you just get a bag of bagels <laughs> or eat some pasta, you know, the week leading up to it, or just make sure that you're doubling down on some of these simple carbs, that we can we can really help ourselves have a better race. Exactly. Exactly. And what you're saying at the beginning was another podcast that was sent our way talking about, I mean, they they said, yes, there's research to support carb loading, right? But the takeaway was, I don't like how I feel when I carb load, so I choose not to. And we don't want to be making ourselves feel a certain way. Um, you know, do this at your own risk. It could be too high risk. It's too complicated. It's weird. It makes you feel strange. Like these were some of the reasons this person was choosing not to carb load. And I think it brings up a good point, right? It, it We have to find that balance in the science and what we're comfortable with. So it's important, and we've talked a lot about it around here, like we are going to feel a little different when we're carb loading. The whole intention is to hang on to extra carbohydrates, which hang on to extra fluid. As runners, we're going to feel that a little bit. It ends up being two or three pounds of extra carbohydrate and fluid that we burn through immediately within the first you know, couple hours of our race. And we have performance benefits, 8% performance benefit. Yeah. But you know, I think we have to keep all of these factors in mind and we have to know what type of carbs can we scale up that we don't feel quite as crummy, right? Some people feel really crummy if they eat too much pasta, but they're okay if they eat more bread or more rice. You know, it's finding the foods that we're comfortable scaling and, and making sure that it doesn't rock our confidence or how we feel to the extent that it impacts our performance. Well, it's the same thing we talk about hyperhydration, um, the mix that we get from scratch that we I like to take if I know. I mean, I don't even need to be too humid or too hot to feel like I benefit from that. And that mm -hmm. thing makes me feel doughy as heck. You know, when I get out, like 
I take it the night before and I feel sloshy the next day, but I'm hydrated my muscles aren't going to cramp up and things are going to be. So it's like, what do you want? Do you want to look good for photos on marathon day or do you want to have a, a knockout performance and then afterwards look good for photos? So, um, you know, it really is a, is a choice that, you know, it's, it's a temporary discomfort. Again, it's the same thing as trying to hold a pace with, with running. It's a temporary discomfort to reach a goal. So mm -hmm. I don't understand, like, if you're in this to win it, then you got to go ahead and make some sacrifices. And But I don't, I mean... I I, maybe I'm in the minority here, but like I don't feel that terrible when I carb load. And but maybe it's also because, like you always say, Megan, we have to be basically eating high carb diet throughout marathon training. Like this is not a crazy change in diet, at least for us. Well, I think it's a ramp up, though. Mm -hmm. Like it's this a week. it's a switch over to more carbs for sure. But it's not like we're going from zero to sixty. No, that's true. And that's where I usually see people have problems and people complain about how they feel the most when there's a huge discrepancy between how many carbs they eat on a daily basis and how many carbs the calculator's spitting out telling them they have to eat, right? So I, I, I totally agree with you. And I agree, Meg. I don't feel awful by any means when I carb load. By the time I go to bed all three nights, I'm like, oh, I don't want another carb. But I wake up in the morning, I feel fine, and I get right back at it, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that's something to keep in mind if someone has plugged in their weight to that calculator and it's told them they need 450 grams of carbs and they're like, oh my God, I can't imagine. Maybe we take a look at practicing that for one day during training or maybe we try to increase our carbs now partly, right? That could be like an aha moment of maybe I'm just not eating enough to support my performance right now. Um, and then, you know, just getting yourself a little more comfortable with it before the actual event. All right, realize you're talking some crazy talk here, though. Not everybody knows about this carb calculator. So I think it was a year ago now I came out with a carb load guide because no one was doing it. And we just talked about how beneficial it could be. Um, and then people were like, wait, how much do I need? So it's a super simple calculation. So we just put a calculator up on the website. So it's at featherstonenutrition.com. And it's just one of the drop downs under resources, carb loading. Um, so that you can go there and see, like, what would this look like for me? So one of the other related statements that has come out recently is that women don't touch muscle glycogen. What does that mean? <laughs> Taking a step backward. So to be a little too scientific first, and then we'll like dumb it down a little bit. So when we are exercising at higher intensity, we need more carbohydrates, right? That's a faster fuel for our body. So when we are running at PR performance in any distance. We're going to be using more carbohydrates. We can, in a lab, figure out what type of carbohydrates we're oxidizing. That means we're turning carbohydrates into energy. So it's either exogenous, which is gels, right, that we're eating, or endogenous, which is our glycogen stores, which is in our muscles. So we can tell what we're oxidizing, whether it's the gels we're taking in, exogenous or our glycogen stores, endogenous. So all these studies, look at these two pieces. All these studies are showing that if we take in more carbs by mouth, we use those first. If we start to run out of those, we start to use the glycogen. Like we've talked about around here, right? We want to have both of those things so neither of them are completely gone. So all of those studies are showing any of that endogenous oxidation of carbs is glycogen. That's just not true that we're not using it. We are absolutely using it. I mean, you probably couldn't even find a study 
that is black and white to prove this wrong because every study in the background is showing that this is happening, right? That we're using these two sources of carbohydrates very, very well, depending on what's available to our body to use the fastest when we're running. So why is this getting misunderstood if it's so, I mean, it sounds pretty self-explanatory. So it's a, I asked myself the same question, like why, is, why are people putting misinformation out there? And if we take a step back, like fuel for the soul, we talk about performance nutrition. I don't care what your pace is, right? I don't care, you know, my 122 or somebody's three and a half hour half marathon. It all relates back to our perceived exertion running those paces, right? Like someone's heart rate might be just as high running super fast as someone else who's running super fast for them, but it's slower, right? So like pace aside from this conversation, it's more so how much effort we're expecting out of our body. And that's what we're here to talk about, right? Like if we're getting the most effort out of our body, regardless of pace, we have to focus on the performance piece of nutrition. So I think a lot of people that are saying these things necessarily don't work. Maybe they're not out there trying to run a half marathon, a triathlon, a full marathon. You know, maybe this is more of like a hobby of exercising 30 minutes a day and they just don't think this type of stuff's important. You know, I think it's important when we look at who are we taking our nutrition advice from we've defined what our personal goals are and make sure that the people we're taking the advice from are a presenting some science and not just opinion and then also they're speaking from the same vantage point of of our goals right like is this a performance you know nutrition discussion or is this just like a daily life i move my body for 20 minutes a day discussion because those are different well i guess you know we're talking about debunking some of these studies that are out there and uh, some of these people that are kind of proselytizing their nutrition advice, which could be harmful, you know, to people. And, hope, you know, we it, that's the weird thing about nutrition stuff. It's always evolving. We'll find out that something that we thought was great, maybe, you know, wasn't great in the future. Who knows? But right now, is there any studies that are showing that women can carb load? 100%. Yeah, there's plenty of studies to support it mm-hmm. um, and specific to women, right? Like that's one of the things when you look at a lot of performance research, it's on men because for a long time it was done in the military. It was mostly men in the military for a lot of years. So that's what they were studying. You know, women are harder to study because we can't control as much for hormonal phases, right? So it is a very true statement that there's not as much research on women, but you can find it, right? The sample sizes aren't huge, but a lot of sports performance, it, the sample sizes aren't huge, right? So it's kind of looking at the quality of the study, like we were saying at the beginning, um, and then kind of looking at how their actual methods of the study, right? Was it legit? Like they controlled for grams of carbs per kilogram or was it, hey, eat more carbs than you normally do, right? So um, yeah, no, but it's out there. The research is absolutely out there to support it. So speaking of women and hormones, and I know that that is one of the main reasons that we're not in a lot of the studies and the research, um, but there is more coming out. And something that came out or another statement recently was that women cannot process the 60 to 90 grams of carbs an hour like we are suggesting. Um, and I think it was also based on where you were in your in your hormone phases. So talk to us a little bit about that. You know, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of runners. So part of this is coming from research that we see. And part of it's coming from what's the experience that I've had with multiple women on all sorts of phases of their cycle or 
contraceptives and what's happened, right? So the thing that alerts me to this is I'm like, I've had plenty of females, myself included, take 90 grams of carbs an hour or at least over 60, right? And this has been great for performance. So, you know, that's the first thing that I'm like, wait, where's this research coming from? Like, I'm not sure, you know, I'm buying all of this. So, um, you know, when you really look at what are the recommendations for grams of carbs per hour during an event, right? It all goes back to the intensity that we are doing in that event, right? Are we hobby jogging a marathon or are we PRing a marathon? Energy needs are going to change. And then, you know, how long we're going to be out there as well changes how much we need to be taking. Those are the two factors, intensity and duration that we put into everything, right? When we're trying to figure out how much do we need to be taking during a race. Right now, there is not enough research to show if I'm going out there to try to PR my marathon, I need to change how many grams of carbs I'm taking because I'm in my follicular phase or I'm in my luteal phase, right? Yes, we know that our body utilizes carbohydrates slightly differently, right? But um, there's just not enough research out there or anecdotal evidence, right? Like I, like I said, I've worked with hundreds of female runners and we've played with how much fuel that they can tolerate at certain times and what this looks like and race day. And yes, do we have a slight delayed gastric emptying when hormones are a little bit higher? I've seen that with some of my athletes, right? You know, there have been these little things that it's like, all right, maybe at this time we need to make these tweaks. But across the board, we can't say if you're in day five through 10 of your cycle, take less carbs. It's just not that black and white. I mean, we all know that. I mean, if you're a female listening, compare your symptoms throughout the month to your friends, to your training partners. It is so vastly different or the length of your cycle. I mean, there's just just so many things that come across here that are different that we can't just blanketly state you can only use X amount of carbs per hour because of this part of a cycle, that part of a cycle. It is way too individualized and way too complicated to, um, you know, really be taking that into account, especially for these like PR type efforts in these longer races. Okay. This brings up a good question for me is we just talked about whether or not there's studies or anything that would support carb intake and you're telling me that you have a database of clients that have been working with you that have been following your advice and you've looked at performances before they followed your advice and you've looked at performance after they followed your advice wouldn't it make sense that if you just charted this out that we would have a pretty (laughs) in-depth study of whether or not women can carb load you know, I mean, people might think that I had my own agenda of selling my own services doing that, which is also something I question sometimes in other folks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not technically a study, but you know, that's why I think it's really important when we are looking for someone to help us with our goals, whether it's running or nutrition, it's somebody who has a ton of experience working with people that we want to achieve, right? And Megan, how many people after the first guide came out and we went through the fall marathon season last year, how many people were like, I crushed my marathon, I followed your carb guide? It was amazing. It was so cool to see. Because you get like, all I want to do is help you guys, clearly. I think we've made that very clear over these these podcasts. But um, yeah, I mean, people were just like, I've never felt so good. I didn't hit the wall. And I'm like, hashtag science. Like, you know, it's 100% what it is. And I don't think there was a big differential between men and women. Like it was women just oh, as no. much as men saying that the the carb guide Agreed. helped them. 
maybe I'm not hitting PRs all the time, but I will say that the way I used to feel, even on some of my easy runs, um, I just felt so depleted and stuff at the towards the end. I, I, you know, I don't have that feeling anymore. So just the enjoyment of running. This episode of Fuel for the Soul is sponsored by Inside Tracker. We all use Inside Tracker to check our general health through training and to make sure we're set up for success come race day. Thomas, give everyone a little more information about Inside Tracker. All right. Inside Tracker is a personalized nutrition platform that uses blood work to create a science-backed plan to help you reach your potential for better performance and a longer, healthier life. You can learn more about the product by going to InsideTracker.com. And for a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 20% off their entire store. Just go to InsideTracker.com slash fuel. Megan, you put this very cool chart in our notes today um, that it talks about instead of focusing on um, your body size or, or your sex, it's that to look at duration and intensity. Can you talk us through this a little bit? Yeah, and I just put this on Instagram this morning too, so it's on there. Um, really what we're looking at is duration of activity and then intensity, right? Like we were saying earlier, those are the two things that determine how many grams of carbs we need per hour. So the longer we're out there and the harder we're working, the higher our needs are. That's what we really want to want to look at. They haven't even found like body size goes into this, right? It's more so just the duration and the intensity. I mean, we could look at, you know, Kipchoge's latest world record, right? Like I would love to see what he actually took out there because his intensity was so high. It was probably incredibly high, right? You know, they've rumored that it's up in the 90 grams per hour. So he had a you know, those guy. are the two things that we... He did have a bottle guy. That was an epic. That bot man was so happy when bottle, he snagged those bottles. Klaus. <laughs> bottle claws. Klaus. Yeah, yeah, we brought up Santa Claus and Bottle Claws in one podcast. Yeah. That's pretty good. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's the things we want to be thinking about, right? Like, maybe there are some races that were hobby jogging that we don't have to take as many carbs, right? But, like, if performance and intensity, higher intensity is the goal, we need more carbs while we're out there. And basically, the limiting factor is what you can tolerate, right? Mm -hmm. There is, you know, there's tons of research on how much can we take, right? So there is a limiting factor of how much of different types of carbohydrates we can absorb in an hour. That's why we talk about these like multiple transport carbohydrates, right? So something that has, you know, glucose, fructose, and maltodextrin, we kind of use different transporters to pull all three of those sugars in. So if it's a combination of those things, we can take more, right? We kind of top out at like 60 grams per hour if we're like just on glucose you know so we want to kind of like pepper some other things in if we want to increase that amount but all the sports fuel these days are manufactured to be that ratio right um so it's just if we were eating like real food we'd have to pay attention to that but i don't know how many marathoners are eating real food so well that's interesting because on a podcast i was listening to this woman suggested that we throw out our gels or i'm sorry that we give them to our competitors and that we eat uh mike and ike's or dates which is real food so what, why would she mm -hmm. suggest this? So I take a big deep breath because I'm not quite sure. Um, some people do like to take smaller doses of carbohydrates over time. So it doesn't, there's not so much hitting your stomach at once, but that's a preference. To me, that statement is 100% a preference, not something science backed. Um, so I do have some people who like the chews or, um, the blocks or you know things like that at, at 
I mean, I used those before. I used to like to spread it out more, right? And I've since switched to gels every 25, 30 minutes and I'm totally fine, you know? So I think the thought is if we're taking a gel, it's like too much for us to handle at once, which again goes back to like, have we practiced this? You know, is this something we've tried? We know physiologically it's not too much for us to handle, you know? Um, We wanna make sure that we're staying well hydrated and we should mitigate any potential risk of taking a bolus of carbohydrates at once versus like a small Mike and Ike bite here and there. And two, if we're trying to get enough carbohydrates, it's hard. You're chewing the entire time you're out there running, which is just not feasible for a lot of people. It's interesting. I was just thinking about an article that came out probably last year now that I think I sent to you that said you don't absorb as many carbs unless you're taking them all at once or something along those lines. And so it's just it's it's fascinating that we're constantly getting fed this information that's conflicting like we're talking about today. Yeah. And it's hard to know, like, what what's right. <laughs> and I think why it, it makes me upset, and I mean, just to put it out there, like, anytime I hear something that contradicts what I think, I'm always open to, like, am I doing this right? You know, like, I'm the first person to be like, wait, do I need to rethink my strategy? You know, so I'm not just being, like, bullheaded and being like, oh, I'm right, you're wrong. You know, I'm always open to looking at other sides of things. But I also think so many of us are in this slightly fragile state of what should I be doing with my nutrition? And when we finally trust someone and we start doing it and then someone else tells us they're wrong, that's hard. Like that makes me mad sometimes. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, we've tried so hard to get women to fuel enough and now they're scared to fuel and like that kind of stuff get, like burns my britches a little. Um, but, you know, I think, like you said, there's constantly stuff contradicting it. So I think it's important to stay on top of it and look at it. And is any of is there truth to any of this? Does this apply to the population we work with? Um, and really keeping an open mind about it um, is important. If someone is looking at the science, like reading these research papers, is there like, I mean, it's for someone who doesn't understand nutrition and have a background like you do like it's overwhelming and it's kind of confusing like what's your recommendation for even attempting to look at this research don't just listen to the podcast (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I honestly don't even think people necessarily need to I, i never want people to lose sight of how do i feel when i do certain things do am i accomplishing my goals do i need to do something different if you're accomplishing your goals and you're doing something that someone else says is wrong why change it Do you know what I mean? Like to the same point of this guy who's like, I don't carb load, but I'm super fast. Cool. Don't change it, you know, but like you're probably a genetic phenom who could maybe even do even better. You know what I mean? Like we we can't second guess ourselves too much. That's my thing with running shoes. It's the same thing. Like people want to argue because they have a favorite brand or they have this and you're like, they're like, I run this fast in this shoe. I'm fine. I'm like, yeah, but you could if you had a more comfortable (laughs) shoe and it's something with a little more energy return. You could even run a little faster. Uh, yeah, Meg, you might know about that. Um, but pick me. Pick it me. is. It, it's, <laughs> it is also the same thing. Like, there's not one shoe that is perfect for everyone. There's not one diet that's perfect for everyone. There's not one carb loading plan that's perfect for everyone. Now, once you get it in there and you find the right fit, and it makes you excited to go out running, and makes you feel good, and you look down at your feet, and you go. These make me feel fast. These make me look fast. I like these. These motivate me to run. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point behind it is to get out there and enjoy your run. And if you get the carb thing right, you're going to have a better experience on the road. 
So you don't need to know mm-hmm. all the science. You don't need to know the durometer of the foams or why it's drop is at 10 versus four or what kind of mesh they're using. Does a shoe fit? Does it feel good? Do you like running it? Do you run fast in it? Do you feel like a rock star when you put it on right before a race? That's the right shoe for you. If the same thing happens with carb loading, you don't need to know the ratio of how many carbs are burned per hour. I don't know. I guess there's about 100 calories in my Morton. I still can't get used mm-hmm. to saying Morton. You know, you take it, you feel better, you run, you go, okay, this works. But, uh, you know, it's there. So some of this stuff is you have the science, but you also have to use the feel. 100%. That was, Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Another TED Talk from Thomas. (laughs) Megan, tell me if you think this is possible. You have like a few listener questions here. Can I run through these and you just debunk them or agree with them? Yeah, we could do that. Okay. Knowing that it's super speedy. Yeah. And go. Okay. You can't take gels with sports drinks. False. You can take gels with sports drinks. You're totally fine. Salty sweaters. Take in less sodium. Your body is just expelling excess. False. <laughs> Your body is sweating how much sodium it's going to sweat pretty much regardless of what you're eating. Okay, that one was weird. We can only <laughs> absorb 25 grams of protein at a time. False. We could absorb as much protein as your body can take in. We're only going to utilize a certain amount of it for muscle recovery at one specific time, right? But we can absorb and use the energy from it in other ways. Fasted cardio will burn more fat. False, 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 false. We've debunked this one a thousand bajillion times. Um, Total energy expenditure is what matters, not what fuel we're oxidizing while exercising. You should reduce carbs in perimenopause. False, false. If you're keeping your exercise the same, you don't need to change carbs. If your exercise decreases because you're exhausted from hormonal swings and perimenopause, fine, we can decrease carbs. But if we're comparing apples to apples exercise-wise, we need to keep carbs the same. Intermittent fasting is beneficial. False. False. But people in Hollywood do it. Yeah, I know. Ryan Seacrest (laughs) is all about it. Dude, Seacrest out. People in Hollywood also have a thousand other supplements and hormonal replacement uh-huh. therapies that the rest of us don't have because they're getting paid big bucks for what they look like and we aren't i would like to be yeah we have <laughs> debunked a lot today talked through a lot today but megan give us some key takeaways we can't ever forget to be thinking about how, well, how things make us feel and perform like let's never forget that right no matter what i say no matter what somebody else say, says let's be open to performing at our best but let's also be very self-aware as to what makes us feel our best right so let's not let any research overcome that let's always keep that you know front and foremost and we also want to make sure that we're paying attention to someone who's putting contradictory statements out there right if they say one thing and then another thing we need to pay attention to people that are potentially trying to sell a product right through something that's being said um and really be wary you guys have heard me say this before of people that are very black and white all or nothing in their statements nutrition is very gray I can't think of many statements that is like a black or a white statement with nutrition. There's always a middle ground. You guys probably all lie in the middle ground somewhere. So we have to take this research and apply it into our own lives or find someone to help us apply it into our own lives so that it works for us, not necessarily what some blanket statement someone is uh, putting out there. 
I also like to go look and see what their credentials are. Like, are you a registered dietitian? Are you, do you have the CSSD? Like, what do you have? And nine times out of 10, when it's someone saying something ridiculous, they have zero credentials. They have personal experience, right? Um, okay. Thanks everyone for tuning in this week. If you have a question that we have not answered, you can send us an email at fuelforthesoulpodcast at gmail.com or head over to anchor.fm, search for Fuel for the Soul, and you can send us an audio message. We Those are our favorite. Um, you get preferential uh, answers. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll see you in... Oh fun we have a fun next episode will be um sleeping all about sleep and we will have an expert on shelby to school us on what we don't know ready for it bye peas and carrots bye (laughs) love it I think that like the elf would really enjoy your nutrition tips. Oh, he would. He's a carb loading mm. king. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bag of spaghetti soaked in syrup. Syrup on everything. <laughs> Definitely used untapped gels for sure. Oh yeah. Like I don't know if I can handle another scoop. <laughs> <laughs> I got in his head, and it's never gonna go away. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm gonna take four caffeine Martins in London <laughs> right before the start. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Slow these girls down. Give them bad nutrition advice. Yeah, let's let's give you guys a, a lot of protein, a lot of fat before the race, and uh, carry a backpack. That's a different podcast. Uh, that one that one can be um, no fuel for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But yeah. Uh, nutrition.com. Featherstone nutrition.com. Yeah, not the stun, the stone. You should just call it feathers.com, but it's probably taken. Ooh, um, I like that. Yeah. Probably is. Yeah. It's like a down pillow or something. You should? Oh. It's <laughs> like, is that the end She's of the just, question? For those of you, wait, for those of you listening, <laughs> Feathers was just nodding her head like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat that one. I was saying you said it right. <laughs> uh, so like when the car is sputtering on its last bit of gas. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a terrible analogy. Okay. And then the last one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's start a go kick, would, kick fund me. <laughs> that one lady don't know shit. <laughs> you can't say that. Okay. No, can't say that. <laughs>